we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We went through the Beatitudes, then we went through salt and light for a couple weeks, and now we're getting to some of the, the quick-hitting principles that Jesus mentioned here in this, uh, this teaching that he gave to his followers. And these teachings are, if you remember, to us as believers. He wasn't preaching to the lost crowd. He wasn't preaching to those who needed to hear about salvation at this point. He was preparing his followers, his disciples, especially the 12 chosen uh, to be apostles for the mission that he was sending them on. And he was preparing uh, that and... Extrapolating that through the the years, he was preparing that for us, preparing us for the ministry that he was sending us into. Now, if you would stand with me, we're going to read Matthew chapter five. Going to read quite a quite a bit, uh, quite a few verses this morning. We're going to be reading starting at verse twenty. Jesus says, "For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven." That's a very important verse. Very important principle, very important thought, uh, and it's not what many people think, and it may not be what you think, so we're going to explain that here in a minute. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there, uh, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and sister, and then come back and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, in her heart, his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it is said to your ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne, or by the earth because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. You may be seated. Now, as Jesus continues to teach us here in this passage, we come to this string of principles that Jesus lays out for us in these verses. And while they're short, they're very direct. And I think they're very misunderstood because people too many times take them at face value rather than reading the entire context and trying to understand what Jesus is saying. Is Jesus saying, cut off your hand if you steal something so that your whole body doesn't go to hell? No, he's saying, fix the problem. Right? He's not saying, cut your hand off. Literally, he's saying, fix the problem in your life. So these are principles that Jesus is teaching us, trying to help us to understand how to become effective, better followers of his. What we see here are what I would like to call in this sermon, life skills. Life skills for regular folks just like us. When I say the common believer, I'm talking about just just us, just the, just the folks, just the people that fill the pews, just the people that fill the pulpit, just life skills for us. Not for super Christians, not for missionaries, 
not for those who are called to full-time ministry. Life skills for us. Ways that we as followers of Jesus need to learn how to live to be effective for him. Now, he starts this portion out getting straight to the point in verse 20 when he makes the statement that challenges the accepted religious teaching of the day. Remember, he's teaching the Jews here. And the Jews were all taught and raised in synagogue by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, especially the Pharisees. And they were all about show. They were all about uh, the outward expression of their belief system. That's why Jesus said to them in one, in, in one exchange, he said, you're like whited, to- you're like painted tombs, like a whitewashed tomb. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And Jesus made this statement. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now that was a radical teaching at the time, and it actually flies in the face of what many religious people think today. They look at that and they say, well, we need to be as good as possible. Well, if you see that statement, that springboard statement that Jesus is making there, and then you follow through and see everything else he's saying here that we're going to be covering, you realize that what he's talking about is not your outward display of faith. He's not talking about outward uh, shows and showiness of religiosity. Remember, James says not to... Uh, not to uh, let those who are arrayed in finery and lots of jewelry and those who, who look wealthy have the, the preferred place. I believe it's Peter that says it's not the outward appearance, it's the inward man of the heart that God is concerned about. That's what Jesus is saying here. So listen, it's not about how religious you can act. It's not about how, uh, how many creeds you can quote. It's not about how big a Bible you carry. It's about how you live. It's about the principles that you allow to seep into your soul. It's about the way you allow them to change you from being a thief to being a person of generosity. You see, that's what he's talking about when he says, if if your hand offends you, cut it off. Stop stealing and start living a generous life. Man, we can... Well, we could jump off into a whole different thing, whole different way of talking about that when it comes to being a Christian in church, right? To being a follower of Jesus in church. What does Malachi say? Uh, Cliff, you can help me out with this one. Will a man, what, rob God? Ooh, wait a minute. How do I rob God? By not supporting his ministry, his church financially. Boy, it takes on a whole new meaning when we take those principles of the Bible and Start reaching, start, start letting it affect our wallet and say that if you truly want to follow Jesus Christ, stop robbing God by not putting money, money, money into the ministry. Let's move on. Jesus is clearly telling us that we must have his righteousness to be accepted by God. And that his righteousness will change our perspective and our actions and cause us to serve towards reconciliation. Remember, that's what Paul told us in, uh, in Corinthians. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. When you allow the principles of the teachings of the word of God to get into your life and to control your life and take over your actions and your perspective and your viewpoint and your worldview, when you start seeing the world and people the way Jesus does, it will change you. It will change you. It will change the way you see. It will change the way you talk. It will change the way you act. It will change the way you parent. It will change the way you love in your marriage. It will change the way you act towards your brothers and sisters in church. It will change you from the inside out. And you will strive now towards reconciliation. Reconciling yourself to God. Reconciling your brothers and sisters. Listen, man, I believe sincerely the ministry that God is leading me to lead this church to right now is obviously winning people to Jesus Christ, no doubt about it, but strengthening the church. We are people. We are losing people left and right 
in the church universal. Churches are shutting down. People are, are jumping ship left and right. <clears throat> it is our, and, and part of that, we'll get into a little bit why that is. Uh, we've created that ourselves, by the way, in my opinion. So a big part of it is for us as Christians to love our brothers and sisters here inside these walls and those who are outside who have kind of given up on church to love them back to Jesus. The righteousness of these religious groups was superficial. It was surface. It had no depth. Remember Jesus taught the parable of the sower? The four different seeds, remember that? You remember the four different soils? And one of those soils, man, it sprouted up. Uh, Autumn loves to pull weeds. And she loves to garden. She loves to work in the yard. And I was showing her how to pull a certain kind of weed. And I said, you just have to give them a little tug because the roots don't go very deep. Right? They're just surface. And just give them a little, bit, a little pull. I've shown the, the boys the same thing when they're mowing a lawn. Just pull these weeds. They come out real easy because there's no depth to them. That's what Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees here. There's no depth to what they believe. There's no depth to their spirituality. It's all surface. It's all for show. Listen, if that's your, if that's your faith, if your faith is all for show, then you're missing the point of being a follower of Jesus. This faith is something that Jesus calls us to die for. Spiritually. Not necessarily literally, although some will. But he calls us to die spiritually so that he might raise us up in a new life. Jesus challenges, to go, is, challenges us to go beyond that superficial faith. To let his truth and his principles burrow deep into our hearts and lives and change us and change everything about us. You see, we're not saved for show, we're saved for go. Remember those, I remember my, my sister Susan bought a car back in 1978 or 79. It was a Camaro. You remember the Camaros from back? I mean, it was, I, it, would, it was Bumblebee, right? If you've seen, if you've seen, the, uh, if you've seen the Transformers, Susan had a yellow Camaro. Spoiler, front and back, mag tires. Oh, oh my gosh, man, it was beautiful. And I had just gotten my license and she told me, that I could drive that to school one day. I went to school in West Hartford, Connecticut from here. And she never did, but I, I got to drive a Pinto. Um, look it up online, you'll see what a Pinto is. And so, I mean, that was a sharp car, man. Beautiful car, three-speed. <sighs> Had a four-cylinder engine. Like, what? what? Three squirrels and a cat. You've got, you've got this amazing Camaro. I mean, this beautiful car. You're driving Bumblebee before his time. And it's got a four-cylinder engine? That was a car for show and not for go. Because my Pinto might have been able to beat her off the start. You see, that's what a, that's what a faith that has no depth is. It's all for show, but not for go. But Jesus saved us not for the showiness, of religion, but for the going power and the staying power of living for Him, of serving Him, of doing great things in the name of Jesus Christ. We can't be salt and light through our own efforts. We must have the righteousness of God and the changing powers of the principles of His Word as our compass, our teacher, and our direction. And that's what He says to us in this next part. The way you choose to follow Jesus matters. The way you choose to follow Jesus matters. The way you represent Jesus to others matters. Reconciliation matters. The way you, listen folks, the way you choose to follow Jesus matters. The way you choose, listen, I'm going to say it again. The way you choose to follow Jesus matters. It's not about the outward appearance of a Christian. It's about what's on the inside and how that's lived towards others. 
The way you follow Jesus matters. In order to understand what Jesus is trying to teach us here, I believe we have to accept the Bible as what it truly is. Truly and totally the absolute word of God. We must accept the Bible truly and totally as the absolute word of God. And if we believe that it is the word of God, then we must believe that the word of God is timeless. How many of you have ever heard the verse, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, correct? What does the Bible say in John chapter 1 about Jesus? What does it call him? Students, class, what does he call? What is, what is Jesus called in John chapter 1? The Word, thank you. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. This Bible is the Word of God. And if we're going to truly live the principles of the Word of God to a world that needs Him, to our brothers and sisters in church, to those who are outside of church right now struggling to survive in their faith, if we're truly going to live Jesus, then we must take the Bible at its Word as being the Word of God, truly and totally the Word of God, and agree and understand that it is timeless. And listen, if the and here's the whole point of this, I, I, I teed that up to say this. If the Word of God is timeless, then it is not culturally appropriated. If the Word of God is timeless, folks, if Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, then it is not culturally appropriated. In other words, what was written back to the Hebrews, what was written back to the Corinthian church, what was written to the, Thess the church at Thessalonica, what was written to the church in, in Rome is relevant to us today. It was not simply written for them for us to have a nice story to talk about. The Word of God is not culturally appropriated. That's where we're going wrong today. We're saying, well, well they, they wrote it to the culture back then because this is the way they were. No, 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 no. The Bible is a book of principles. And if the principles applied back then, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Therefore, the Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God cannot and is not culturally appropriated. It applies to us today. And we need to apply it to our lives today. And that's how we're going to live for Jesus Christ. We can't change or ignore the meaning of Scripture simply because we don't like the way it makes us feel. Listen, can I hear this, church? We cannot change the meaning of Scripture or ignore the teaching of Scripture simply because it offends our culture. We're just 50 years removed from a time when, what, 30, 40% of those who you who are here this morning would not be allowed to be in this church? Here in this country? Those were men calling themselves men of faith who culturally appropriated scripture and said that the races need to be segregated in church. Now, there's still parts of this country that shamefully do those kind of things. But the word of God says we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. I was, I was playing an old DC Talk uh, album in the car the other day and Kids kept asking me to change, change it, Dad, except for, except for Gabriel and Michael, right? And there's a great song on, uh, on uh, is it Jesus Freak, Zach? Colored People? Colored, oh, colored People, man, great song. Colored People, great song. And it addressed, one of the things I love about Toby Mac is Toby Mac is a, a guy who is all about breaking down the walls between the races. In fact, his, his, ver, his band is called the Diverse City Band. Diversity Band. Okay? Diverse City. You see, we can, we can twist Scripture to say anything we want. What we need to do is take the Bible for what it says and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into an understanding of how that applies to us today. Jesus didn't call us to be culturally relevant. He called us to be spiritually relevant. That's where I think the church has gone wrong in the last 20 to 30 years. We tried to be culturally relevant. We have smoke shows and light shows and rock concerts on Sunday morning. Listen, I'm all, I, rock and roll is my generation. I love that kind of, I love Christian rock music. I love that sound. I'm not a big, I, I'm not a big guy on uh, the modern, modern music today. Um, it's, I, I'm old, 
right? I'm just old. I don't, I don't like it. I'm not a hip hop guy. Uh, yes, uh, it's just not my style, right? I like, I like third, give me third day, man. Give me third. If you want to cross over into the, uh, give me the Eagles. You know, that's, that's my, that's my, that's my jam, yo, right? But we, we, we've become so concerned with being relevant that we've lost the holiness of Sunday morning. We've lost the purpose of Sunday morning. When, when there's a website that, that kind of mocks pastors, it's called Preachers and Sneakers. And it's all about pastors who are paid to wear $1,000 sneakers on, on stage. That's and some of them are eight thousand. Some of them are wearing five thousand dollar belts because they're what are those? What are they called? Influ influencers, right? Up here, what am I going to start putting a Pennzoil patch on my shirt? I come on. We've lost the holiness of Sunday morning. What it's supposed to be about being here as a church. Society isn't supposed to influence the church. The church is supposed to be an influence on society. If that isn't happening, then the church has lost its way. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> How to make sure we as individual Christians and then we as a body of Christ are to live to each other and to the world so that we show them who Jesus is. Truly is. So what are these life skills that Jesus taught us about? And I almost panicked this morning on the last song. I started looking through my notes and I thought I was missing a page. And I started using my wife's printer. And for some reason, that printer, I tell you, I'm not, Jeremy, I'm not very good technologically. It prints on both sides sometimes and it just switches. And I was panicking because I was losing a whole page and then I was on the backside. So it's still here. But what's the first principle? Our righteous living matters to God. Our righteous living matters to God. It truly does. Your life is not just random. Your life is not unimportant. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you think about yourself. I don't care what you've been told about yourself. I don't care how you've been raised. I don't care what you think people think about you. Your life matters to God. You are not unimportant. You are a special creation of the king of the universe. I mean, have you seen those pictures from the telescope that, that, that would, were just, just came back, what, about two weeks ago? Oh, my goodness. Is it not amazing what's out there? I personally believe that eternity is all going to be about us discovering and going out and doing things like that. Uh, because we're going to have all of eternity to investigate the universe. But the God who made the creation that you see in those telescope pictures is the God who created you. And as beautiful and as brilliant and as stunning as those pictures are, <laughs> and as that truly is, Aaron and I, we now we have to take like any moment at all to have a date, right? And we, last night, after everything, after all the running around was done, I'm sorry if you heard us over there at 10 o'clock at night. These are our new neighbors, by the way. I, if you heard us over, I, it, our kids were loud and it was, it was like almost 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, there's neighbors around here and they're all old, except for the new ones. And, and, uh, you know what, I don't want somebody driving up to my house again, knocking on my door saying, please keep it down like it's done before. So it was time for them to get out of the pool and time for adult time in the pool, not time for the adults to go in the pool. So Aaron and I went in the pool and I just happened to stop and look up at the sky. And it, it, we look at the sky last night. Oh my goodness, it was beautiful. The Big Dipper, and it was just beautiful, man. And as I looked at that sky, and as I think about that now, and I say, think about the beauty of New England, in the fall, which is, which is coming soon, where we're going to see brilliant, vibrant colors on the trees and just amazing sights. I have to remind myself that the God who created that created me. 
And the God who loves creation enough to make it brilliant and vibrant and beautiful and pleasing to my eyes and to my ears created me with a greater love. Because he says greater love has no one than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus died for me. He didn't die for the universe. He didn't die for the frogs. He didn't die for the trees. He died for you and me. And that's the one who created you. And if he took the time to create you, and if he took the time and gave the love it took to die on the cross to save you from your sins, then your life matters to God. And your righteous living matters to God. The way you conduct yourself, the way you live your faith every moment of every day to every person you see and meet and converse with matters to God. Your righteous living matters to God. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Thomas Kincaid said this, you have to expect spiritual warfare when you stand up for righteousness or call attention to basic values. It's just a matter of light battling darkness. But the light wins every time. You can't throw enough darkness on light to put it out. You can't throw enough darkness on light to put it out. It's always going to win. We have been called to be, we just talked about that the last two weeks, salt and light. We've been called to be the light of the world. Jesus wants us to shine our light. He wants us to show light to this world. He wants us to shine brilliantly for the world. Your righteous living matters to God. If your righteous living matters to God, let's bring in the dark side here. Your failure as a Christian matters to Satan. And he's going to attack you. He's going to go after you. He's going to try to tear you down. Because if he can tear you down, then you're not going to be the light that you need to be in the darkness. He wants to make you a failure as a follower of Jesus. Yet Jesus tells us our righteous living matters to God. In fact, your righteous living <laughs> matters to God a whole lot. It matters to him a whole lot. James 1 verses 19 and 20 say, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Those of you who are teenagers, some of you who might live in East Longmeadow on a certain street where I live, maybe even in my house, you might want to listen to this. Be slow, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Listen, man, I read that verse, and I love that first part. And then I read the second part, and it's like, oh, man. How many times do I fail in that area? Where I let my anger overcome my better sense of being a follower of Jesus. And where I let my anger lash out and accomplish what I want to accomplish because it makes me feel better on the inside, makes me feel better on the outside, and it may even give me control of a situation. But I'm not necessarily accomplishing the righteousness of God. The anger of humanity, the anger of a human being does not accomplish God's righteousness. You see, your righteous living matters to God. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Remember when computers first came out? Those of you who were, <coughs> who were old enough to remember when computers first came out and the principal, uh, people would blame the computer, right? We blame the computer for for doing something. They, the computer did this. They, how, I, spell check, right? How many of you, it's spell check. Spell check messes it up. Just remember the principle that I, I learned very quickly, garbage in, garbage out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Computer is not thinking on its own. What I put in is what it spits out. That's the way our minds are. 
Our minds are beautifully and craftily created by God. What we put into our minds is what comes out in our living. That's why we are to avoid those things that are evil in God's sight, those things that are nasty. That's why, folks, we put, we, we put blocks on our kids' internet. We put blocks on our kids' phones so that they can't go to certain websites because children are not old enough. I love what Sue posted this week. Children are not old enough to handle certain things, right? They're kids. Oh, well, society has changed. Who cares? Principles of living, raising children, those raising children right hasn't changed. You are called, parents, you are called to be a protector of your child's mind. Their minds are developing, their minds are growing. You are called to bring principles of godliness. Yes, they're children. Yes, they're curious. Yes, they're going to try to get away with things. That's what makes a kid a kid. They're going to be devious and diabolical. Right? That's what makes a kid a kid. They're going to hide things from you. But you need to be smarter than a six-year-old. You need to be smarter than a 10-year-old. You need to be smarter than a 14-year-old. You need to be smarter than a seven. My wife keeps saying, go higher, go higher. He's smarter than a 17-year-old. You are the parent. Can I say this, folks? Don't be afraid to be a righteous parent. Don't be afraid to live the principles of righteousness in your own home and to institute the principles of righteousness in your own home. We have some pretty strict rules in our house. And I don't apologize for them. Because I want my children to have the best shot. You can ask Zach. Zach was raised in my home, and he knows what, what, uh, what our home is like. And now these, these five kids are going up the same, growing up the same way. He said, I don't really care what anybody else thinks. I'm responsible for my children. And I want my children to have the very best shot at living a holy, righteous life of morality and ethics with a solid foundation of biblical principles and truth. And that's mine and Aaron's responsibility. And that's your responsibility to teach your children. Oh, you're sheltering them. You're absolutely right. Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. What do we have for our winners today, Johnny? Absolutely. I'm sheltering my children. Are you out of your mind? Do you see what's going on out there? Of course I'm sheltering my kids. I'm praying for our brothers and sisters in Kentucky, man, the flooding. But I don't have to go down and get in the middle of the flood to know that it's dangerous and know that it's deadly. I don't have to be in the middle of something to know it's bad and dangerous. Therefore, with my children, I don't have to allow them to get into the middle of stuff so that they can understand that it's, it's dangerous. Hey, that means there are certain people we won't let our kids hang around. Shoot me. My children's lives, their ethics, their moral compass is more important than what people think of my standards in my home. And folks, that's the attitude we must take as Christians living in this world. We don't have to become angry and ugly. That's, that's one of the, the wrong paths we've taken. I had a, a great meeting this week with the superintendent of schools and the director of curriculum. And you pray for that. We have a great opportunity. Uh, Melvin Edwards and I are gonna be meeting. We're gonna have a great opportunity to bring some, some change, to bring some good things, um, to help some people out. And it's, I'm excited about it. But I had to correct some thinking because as an evangelical pastor, they, especially one of them had a certain mentality about what I think and how I am. And I had to change, I had to, I had to correct some things in a very loving and kind way, saying, listen, I know that certain people represent themselves that way, but that's not me, and that's not my church. And that's definitely not the man that I'm, I'm bringing in to, to, to chat with you. We believe in loving each other. I said, listen, for me, it's all about Jesus. And I told him that in the me. I said, it's all about Jesus for me. It's all about showing Jesus to others. I can't make people make that choice, but I can, I can, I said, I'm telling you, I said this to them. I can't make people choose Jesus, but I sure can show them who Jesus is by the way I live. 
And that is my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to tell you how to do your job. It's my responsibility to live Jesus before you and others. And that's all I want to do. Folks, that's what matters. That's righteous living. And that's what Jesus asks us. He asks us to put into our mind things that will bring out in our lives purity and loving loving attitudes and righteousness and principles of the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 9, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. That's a, that's a, a cause and effect. If you will live the principles, if you will live the things that I've taught you, if you will live and apply the things that I have given to you and shared with you and modeled for you, then the God of peace will be with you. He will bless you. He will oversee you. He will guide you and direct you because you're not going to be going your own way. You're going to be walking his way. And he is going to affect change in your life. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not get tired of doing good for we'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. <laughs> Listen, I know there are times when it's easy to just say, I've had enough. To try to tap out and say, that's it. I've had enough. I've had enough. Even in church, I just can't seem to get along. I just can't seem to get a grip on it. I just can't seem to have victory. I have this every time, every day. I go on for a couple months. I go on for a while and I'm doing good. I'm getting strong and then bang, it hits me again. And I just can't, you know what? It's easier just to give up than not to try. And I know that's a temptation. But folks, Jesus says to us clearly, don't get tired of doing good because you will reap at the proper time if you don't faint. It's that Rocky quote that I use. Doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up that matters. Christians aren't people that don't fall. Followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus, aren't people that don't fall. We're people that get up one more time than we fall down. We fall down, we get back up. We fall down, we get back up. And we don't give up. We keep moving forward for Him. Your righteous living matters to God. Secondly, following up with that is this. True righteous actions start in the heart. We already alluded to this. True righteous actions start in the heart. Not in the outward appearance. In the heart. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve, thank God. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. A heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. The grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ. That's what he was talking about. True righteous actions start in the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. You are what your heart shows that you are. You are what your heart shows that you are. Proverbs 27, 19, as water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the person. One of the, one of the greatest definitions of the word grace or charis in the Greek is this, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. That's, a, that's an amazing definition of the word grace. The divine influence of God on our hearts and its reflection in our lives. In other words, our lives are to be a mirror of the grace of God. If we want to live before Jesus, if we want to, uh, before the world, Jesus before the world, then we need to be a mirror of his. Listen, take the pressure off yourself. It's not about you. It's not about how good you can be. It's not about how perfect you can walk. It's not about how many times you can refuse something. It's about shining and reflecting the grace of God, the love of Jesus to this world. The reflection of divine, the, the influence of, 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 of the divine on our hearts and its reflection in our lives. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10 say, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? 
I, the Lord, examine the heart. I, I examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. You are what your heart says you are. And righteous actions and righteous living begin in the heart. What does that mean? That means I better have my heart set on things that matter, on things above, not on things on the earth. Lastly, I want to leave you with this one this morning. Number three, strong relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ matter to God. Strong relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ matter to God. Notice I didn't say strong relationships with our brothers and sisters in our church congregation matter to God. We've got to get over this. This is our congregation and that's their congregation. We've got to get past that stuff, folks. We've got to get past it. We're not here to build the kingdom of new life. We're not here to build the kingdom of John Chase. We're not here to build the kingdom of your family. We're not here to build the kingdom in East Longmeadow. We are here to build the kingdom of God. And that requires cooperation between brothers and sisters in Christ. As I said earlier, we have so many of our brothers that you know them, man, come on, you know them. You know the people, you know your friends. I'll bet you if I gave you the, the, the five and five challenge right now, you know what the five and five challenge is? Think of five people, five brothers and sisters in Christ that are not in church. Think five that you know that have, that have left church and are not in church. Think of five people and remember them in your mind and write them on your heart. And then you think of five people who don't know Jesus and you know they have never accepted Jesus as their savior and they're lost. You pray for those five brothers and sisters that are out of church and those five lost people, man, you're on your way to having an effect for the kingdom of God. Don't pray that they'll come back to come to new life. I mean, that's awesome. Pray, hey, cool, man. That's wonderful. Find the guy that just won the $1.25 billion and see if he wants to become a member of new life and tithe, right? That'd be awesome. It wasn't us. Just letting you know. Five people. Five people that you know that are out of church. I can go way beyond that. But just, just do five. Just pray for five. And then five people that you know that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Why? Because relationships with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ matter to God. It matters to God. And remember, when we, when we do our Daniel fast, we don't challenge you to give up something specific. We challenge you to give up something that matters to you because if it matters to you, it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to you. And those people being out of church are, are wandering away from their center, from their North Star, from their, their, their source. And that should matter to you. Because they matter to God. The relationships within this church. I, I love what our youth group is doing. I love that we have a solid youth pastor. He's got a solid team. We've got a bunch of, a bunch of kids, uh, young people that are coming together once a week and, and during the summer, getting together and doing something. Love the fact that they baked yesterday. Love the fact that they're going to wash cars today. Love the fact that they're getting together. Why? Because they're building relationships in Jesus Christ that matter. Not because they're going to wash my car. I mean, that's going to be nice. That'd be wonderful. But because they're coming together and building relationships. You see, it's not our job simply to have fun with teenagers. Our youth pastor knows, who is also our associate pastor, he knows that the relationships that, build, we, that we have these kids build now are the relationships that hopefully will keep them in church when they turn 19, when they turn 20, when they turn 22, when they turn 25, when they turn 30, when the, when, when the, when the temptation to walk away and to follow some other life comes to them, the relationships that they have established with brothers and sisters in Christ are going to draw them together. Listen, man, I'm so thankful my parents had me in church so much when I was a kid. You know why? Because I fell in love with church. And I'll be, I'll be very transparent with you as parents. And this model might, 
might, might, have wor- might have been your model of life. I fell in love with church and I loved everything about the church, but I hadn't fallen in love with Jesus. I was a believer. I had accepted him as my savior, but I hadn't fallen in love with Jesus as a kid, but I fell in love with church. I fell in love with the lifestyle. I fell in love with the passion that people had. There was a difference in church that wasn't out there. And I always knew that when we came to church, it was a safe place for me to explore faith. It was a safe place for me to learn without having to have everything I said questioned and and attacked. And then when I became a young adult, I started building on that and falling in love with Jesus. But you see, the relationships that were established for me by my parents growing up in church are the relationships that drew me and were the pattern for me to seek out other relationships with believers so that I would become a stronger follower and I would stay in church and learn. I learned from, not only from my father, I learned from great men like George Wright, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Junction City, Kansas, right off the, right off the base of Fort Riley, Kansas. Learned from great men like Bruce Thomas, my assistant pastor in, in uh, Springfield, Missouri, a Seminole Baptist temple. Gave me the opportunity to learn from great men and women and to build relationships that matter. You know the kind of relationships I'm talking about, right? Those brothers and sisters in Christ that you don't see for years, but when you connect with them, it's like you just saw them yesterday. When I was growing up, they used to call it old home week in church, right? It's like old home week. Everybody's coming back. Saw a guy yesterday and his boys, and we were up at the Apple store, and I saw him, and man, it was just like we picked up from yesterday. Told him I loved him, told him I missed him, and he had a big smile on his face. Listen, man, the relationships we have here, the relationships within these walls, these relationships matter to God. They matter to God. If he has called you to new life, then jump in with both feet. Get to know these people. We started the couples, the couples get together. That was fun, man. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We're going to be doing it again. It's going to be a lot of fun. Get to know brothers and sisters in church. Reach out to, hey, hey, married couples, don't forget that we have some single people here in church. Reach out to them. Don't let them feel like they're on the outside. Reach out to them. Let them know you love them. Invite them over for a hot dog on the grill or something. I love hot dogs too, Eric. Reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. Build those relationships. Listen, if we can't love each other and accept each other within these walls, we can never hope to develop the love needed to make a sacrifice of our lives so that others will see Jesus. We have to learn to love each other in our church because it is the foundation of a successful ministry. You know, when we talk about loving people outside of these walls, one of the hardest things to do is love those people who weren't so lovely when you left the church or when they left your church, right? And you know, Satan loves to divide and build on schisms. Don't let him. Don't let him. I'm not going to get angry with people. I'm not going to get upset. You know what I do? I pray that they'll get into a church where they can connect and get involved. Because that's what I want to do with people that are hurting and come to my church. I want to connect them. I want to get people involved. I want them to grow in their faith. I want them to be productive for the kingdom because that's what matters. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, folks, 
I'm going to use that, that dirty word in church. That requires compromise. It means you can't have everything your own way. That means you have to, you have to see the, listen, say this again from the pulpit. I'm the pastor of the church and I don't get everything my way. It, you wouldn't want that. It wouldn't be the best. I'm not, I, I'm, I don't have the answer to everything. There are people in this church much wiser than me. People who, who uh, there's definitely many of you are much more creative than me. I, my, my creative artistic ability doesn't even rise to the level of stick figures. I can't even make a, a good stick figure. That's, that's, that was supposed to be funny, but I think it was more sympathetic, right? We, we need each other. We need each other in this church. We all have value. We all bring something to the table. And we must be willing to go beyond ourselves and, and make a compromise with people so that we can all stay unified and have peace. And 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't be yoked together with those who don't believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Remember this. The relationships that affect your life the most should be godly friendships with godly people. Yes, we are to, we, we are to, to be reaching out to people and, and having friends that, that don't know Jesus because how are they going to, to get to know him? But if your unsaved friends, if those people outside of faith affect you more in your life than Christians who are following Jesus Christ do, You've got the cart before the horse. Iron sharpens iron, but only iron that is powered by Jesus Christ. Strong relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ matter to God. We're going to end there this morning. Number four, we'll pick up next week. I'm going to give you this to think on. Number four is this. Marriage matters. It really is a big deal with God. It's not frivolous, disposable, or trite. Marriage matters to God. So that's what we're going to start talking about next week. I hope, I hope this has made sense to you, uh, life skills that Jesus has taught us. I hope you've had something to think about this coming week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege. Once again, Lord, I'm reminded every week of the privilege I have of being able to be in church place where I'm free to worship you. Thank you for the love that is displayed here. Thank you for those who come here to uh, worship and to fellowship and to serve. And Lord, you've given us some solid teaching. You've given us some important thoughts and some important principles. I pray, God, that they'll matter to us because they matter to you. Lord, would you give us understanding? Would you give us grace and peace? And we, may we go forward from this place as worshipers. Lord, we pray for our young people today. Thank you for their work yesterday. Thank you for their uh, commitment to today. Would you keep them safe and help them to have fun? And I pray that you will begin building relationships with them that'll matter for eternity. Bless us as we go from this place. May we honor you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.